0: The circumstances of life are a roller coaster. And the beautiful thing that Victor reminded me of was that every single time my life had felt like a roller coaster and I was on one of those hairpin turns or like really ridiculously steep drops, I still ended up being okay. Every time I had thought I had run out of hope, somehow I ended up okay. And I realized that there is no such thing as hopeless. We cannot run out of hope. It's actually a fountain of well being that's not outside in my circumstances, it's inside of me. It was planted inside of me. All I need to do is learn how to tap back into it when things get cloudy. You're
1: a high achiever. On paper and through the eyes of others, you've made it. Congratulations. But the truth is, You feel unwanted, unworthy, and unlovable. You always have, but you hide it well. Welcome to the Trauma Hiders Podcast. I'm Karen goldfinger Baker, and this is a podcast where high achievers like you finally reveal what keeps them up at night that no amount of money or recognition will fix. I'm also making it my business to speak with people who get you, Listing the five ways your fuckery is getting in the way of the next level of your success. Grab it now at KarenGoldfingerBaker.com. The thing about hope is that it's available to everyone, regardless of childhood wounds, education, socioeconomic status, health, ethnicity, or religion. Hope is endless, it's boundless, and a wellspring of possibility. And yet, in many circles, Hope gets a bad rap. For some, hope is dreamy, without action, too passive, or perhaps too woo-woo. Catherine Hammond wrote a hell of a hopeful book that looks at the truth about hope and where to find it. Her book, Hope Less is a deep and beautiful example of personal story, raw human truths, and a deep knowing, a deep feeling, an intimate relationship with hope. She's the founder of a multi-million dollar law firm, an extraordinary and trusted advisor, a bold and courageous leader, a direct and loving coach, and Katherine Hammond is a powerful, masterful author. If you like conversations that dig deep and get real, this one's for you, right here, right now, in the Trauma Hiders Club. When I think of hope, I think of two perspectives. One is something like, I hope I do well on this quiz, right? Or I hope I can find a pair of shoes to match that dress. Yeah, like a wish. Sort of like a wish. Yeah, and the other that comes up for me is it feels heavier, not in a weighty, like, ug way, heavier in a, like, Bring me to my knees way, that is my hope for the world. So even this podcast being part of that, my hope is that through this podcast, the Trump Hiders Club, we the participants, we the listeners, open up to more of our own humanity to recognize that we all have shit. Capital T trauma, little t trauma doesn't matter. And my hope is that we normalize the conversation around trauma, thereby, you know, opening the floodgates to, as humans, we all have stuff. And that doesn't mean we're broken. And that doesn't mean we don't take a look at it. It's there, right? Like, let's acknowledge and let's be with who we are. So that's like, that's the bring me to my knees kind of hope.
0: Yeah. In a beautiful way. Yeah. Thank you. Is there a difference? So for me, I struggled with hope for most of my life, often not even realizing that I was struggling with hope. I had never really thought about the definition. And I certainly hadn't thought about what hope really is, except that it was a wish for something that isn't fully true right now, that I want to be true. Like, I hope that we'll have good weather on our vacation. I hope that this job will work out. I hope that He will propose to me, all of those kinds of hopes, wishing for something that's not fully true in this moment. Where I started to think differently about hope was actually on the flip side of it, because I noticed that when I would go through the latest gigantic challenge that would come up in life, what felt like a crisis I noticed that there were times in the middle of it where I felt like the floor was dropping out from under me and like I was not going to be okay. And so I came into my study of hope from the opposite direction, from the side of what does it mean to be hopeless? Because that one I felt. I felt hopeless. When I was in the middle of a crisis and it felt like the floor was dropping out, I thought I was going to die. I thought the world was crashing in, it was going to end, and I would not be okay. That's how I started thinking about hope. So, hope not as a wish for something better, but hope as the thing that sustains us and the thing that makes us either okay or not okay, especially when we go through hard things. Mm -hmm. And and it's the same hope that we don't talk about that is very quiet, quietly there when we do take a new job or go out on a first date with someone. that That knowledge that we can handle this thing, that desire for it to go well, but even more importantly... the the cradle of hope, knowing that this is not a risk that is beyond me. This is not a situation that's beyond me. But then life throws us these situations, encounters, uh, betrayals, pains, diseases, where we don't feel the cradle of hope. So I started playing with it back in uh, 2012, 2013, I was actually on an airplane and I was reading Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, which if you haven't read it, everybody needs to look, to read that book immediately. And so I put my seat in the recline position and I open up Viktor Frankl's book and I start reading about his time in the concentration camps and how his family was all killed. And yet, He never got to the point where he felt like the floor was dropping out from under him. He was able to keep going and be okay and get out of bed in the morning, which I still can't fathom the most difficult circumstance in the world that I can imagine. And yet he didn't lose this thing that I had thought of as hope. And as I read this book and read his story, My jaw dropped open because I realized that this cradle of okayness, this fountain of well-being that I need to carry me through the ups and downs of life, which I've always believed resided in my circumstances. Like, I have hope if there's money in the bank. I have hope if there's, you know, a job on the horizon. I have hope if there's a cure for my cancer. What I learned from Victor is that the hope does not reside in the circumstances. We all know this, you know, somewhere in our minds, but we forget it so easily. The circumstances of life are a roller coaster. And the beautiful thing that Victor reminded me of was that every single time my life had felt like a roller coaster, and I was on one of those hairpin turns or like really ridiculously steep drops, I still ended up being okay. Every time I had thought I had run out of hope, somehow I ended up okay. And I realized that there is no such thing as hopeless. We cannot run out of hope. It's actually a fountain of well-being that's not outside in my circumstances. It's inside of me. It was planted inside of me. All I need to do is learn how to tap back into it when things get cloudy.
1: Hmm. Yeah. We have signs from everywhere of hopelessness or messages of hopelessness. They come from everywhere. In fact, it's kind of ironic. I, sh- I should bring these two pieces up that just happened to come my way this week. Two different coaches I know wrote about hope and how hope is bullshit. And as I read it, they actually were not even talking about hope because I don't think they know what hope is. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, here I am, smarty pants. Me, also, so willing to cut people off who are fucking idiots, and neither of them are. But I had made that decision in that moment. Fucking idiot. You don't even. As we do. As we do. As one will. But like the universe, the world, advertising, stories, books, movies, all of it. Like the messages are like hope is finite you can run out of it and you can run out of it right yeah what is that why do you suppose we want people to believe that
0: that's a great question i think part of it is our innate need for security and if we can't see the security our brains are trying to protect us and they're looking for it and For whatever reason, they seem to look for it in circumstances. We don't default to looking for it within ourselves. I also would throw out a possibility that it might have something to do with control Mm. and religious history. Mm -hmm. Because if I can convince you that you are only going to be okay if you do X, Y, Z, then I can get you to do X, Y, Z. And I think that's been a factor too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm also wondering if the structures, the systems that we have built generation after generation, especially in this country, if there is a benefit to calling out hopelessness because if you don't have the evidence of hope, right? If you don't have money in your bank account, if you don't have a secure home, if you don't have a loving relationship, if you aren't making it, then you aren't a productive member of this society, right? And this is, this world, this country is built on production and output and right? If you don't have the things that line up with that machine, you don't fit. You can't be hopeful. You can't be hopeful. That's what hopelessness looks like. Get your shit together. Get back on the assembly line or get back on the job. Get back in whatever the thing is that is going to produce the evidence of hope.
0: Yes. And the reason why We do that to each other is because, and let me say my definition of hope is the confidence that I am okay and I will be okay no matter what. And so what happens is if I see you over there resting on your laurels, not being productive, I start to feel uncomfortable. I think I'm not going to be okay. Me getting you to do something other than what you're doing is all about me feeling safe and secure. Mm-hmm. And if I can get over my thought that my sense of well-being comes from what's happening outside of me, like what you're doing or not doing. I mean, t- take it to a, a marriage, a an intimate relationship of any sort. If I think that I'm not going to be okay unless you, kiss me before you roll over and go to sleep every night, then I'm going to be a little bit funny about it when you roll over and go to sleep and don't kiss me Mm -hmm. because I've forgotten. And I, I give that example. I don't happen to do that one, but there are ways that I do that. And I have to come back and remind myself it's the little ways that hope makes a difference for me. I have to come back and remind myself, wait a second, all that is out there. My, my sense of balance, my sense of of everything good actually comes from inside of me and tapping into that. It doesn't matter what my husband does or does not do, but we're forgetful people. And so I have to keep being reminded and life keeps giving me gigantic invitations to remember you know. Come on, Catherine. you know this, but let's just do it again. Things are going to go up and down out there, but that's not where your okayness comes from. Right. Absolutely. Are some people born more hopeful than others? I don't know that we're born more hopeful. So if you play with that word hopeful, to me, hopeful means more easily able to remember the hope that's always already here. And so there are people who maybe genetically, but absolutely by virtue of family dynamics, more easily see that things will be okay. And I think the more trauma we go through in childhood, the harder that can be. And that was very true for me. I had, you know, deep, deep, deep trauma early in childhood and through throughout my childhood. And I didn't have a sense of safety and security. And so I remember as a teenager, when I would go through a relationship breakup, I literally thought the world was ending. Mm -hmm. I did not think that I could survive it. Because I had not been given the tools to remember the hope that I already had. I thought that I needed him to love me in order for me to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: Here's yet another example of how unresolved trauma blocks our access to truth and feeling and a sense of who we are and our okayness. Right. I mean that's what's in the way. In fact that was a that was a question I was going to ask you how or if sort of loopy whirling around trauma can block one's flow of hope.
0: Uh absolutely no question. Yeah. It absolutely does. Yeah. And it's not that it might it does, and it does on a regular basis. And then the times when that becomes really important are the times when we need it most. And if our vision is cloudy because we've come to believe that we need things out there to look a certain way, and we, we've never met the sense of security that was planted by our creator, whatever that might be, be whoever that might be planted inside of us if we haven't remembered that then we're looking outside of ourselves and every single challenge and crisis becomes a big deal right because we can't we can't see and we don't have the tools and it it takes us back a, at a body level at a somatic level to the trauma that's still hanging out in our bodies and it is just foggy until we clear that out
1: yeah i was thinking about you know being having experienced childhood sexual abuse and navigating my world and and my relationship with hope and i i was reflecting that i may have appeared hopeful and i may i may have even said i was not at 10 but you know if maybe even if you asked me a few weeks ago before reading hopeless <laughs> the actual name of your book hopeless the truth about hope and where to find it it's hope parentheses less parenthesis i may have said that i was hopeful however as i really sit with it and feel into it what i was was dissociated and compartmentalized. And so I could see the path forward. But what I was doing was just moving the blocks of pain aside, certainly not moving them aside and leaving them, just carrying them, putting them into a locked box so that I could have forward movement may have looked like
0: hope. I still get that. And that's such an important skill when you're young. We have to do that when we're young. Yeah. And so I'm curious, how did you start remembering yourself and remembering your relationship with hope? Yeah. Well,
1: what I remembered, I mean, I just went through this exercise myself having read your book, like what was my relationship? Because I started to question if you have all these blocked accesses from trauma, right? Blocking somatically blocking just flow in general with all of what's swimming around. Was I actually hopeful? I looked at that and came to the conclusion that no, I wasn't. However, when I think about my relationship to hope and the way that hope was brought was talked about in my world. Hope was for sissies. Mm-hmm. Why was that? What about hope? Hope was for sissies. It's passive. It's wishful. Mm-hmm. It's naive. It's not control. It's woo woo, which makes sense in my family. A, a very, very, like strong masculine vibe of entrepreneurship and get shit done and look really good and do all the things um, and take action, like rising up kinds of messages. So hope was like, if I imagine what I took away from my family, if I could see the visual of it, I'm sitting on a couch Maybe I've got like a bag of chips in one hand, a remote for the TV in the other. And I'm saying, I wish I had a million dollars and there's nothing happening around it. So wishing is for sissies.
0: Right. Yeah. Those who can't go out and make it happen. Right. They hope that it will happen. Yeah. We don't hope. I really get that because I, we have a lot of similarities. I was the make it happen girl because if I didn't make it happen, I would sink with my family. Right. So I learned to go out and make it happen. And I do have an aversion to the people, you know, sitting on their sofa with the remote control, wishing for a million dollars. And I've developed a great compassion for those people and a desire to help them see that we can create whatever we want to create, whatever we're committed to creating. Right. And I think the more that person on the sofa, I know, the more that person on the sofa remembers, realizes that their hope doesn't come from the million dollars. Their hope is already inside of them. Then they have the ability to take the actions to get off of the sofa, because right now they're thinking, well, all of that just sounds too hard, and I probably can't do it, and my father always told me that I was stupid, and, you know, all of that trash that we have taken on that has clouded that person on the sofa's view of hope, it's its bogging them down. I think if that person got back in touch with the hope in them, they would go, Oh my gosh, I could go out and create a million dollars. Right. I am hope. It's not over there.
1: Right. It's it's interesting. Is
0: hopelessness a made up thing? Absolutely. Um there is no such thing as running out of hope. There is an endless supply of hope. Like is there's no um you know tube of hope that we squeeze and run out of. Yeah, it's not like
1: vitamin D, right?
0: No. It's not like
1: we're born with so much and if we don't get in the sun, we don't get it.
0: I call it an ever-present, ever-flowing wellspring. Yeah. You just tap in and there's always more. My mother believed that she had run out of hope more than once in my childhood. And more than once, she told me, that she yelled and said, I just can't take you kids anymore. I'm going to go kill myself. And she would walk out the front door and drive down the street, thinking that her only option was to end her life because she thought that she ran out of hope. And then at some point, she turned the car around and she drove back up the street and walked back into the house, which tells us She thought that she had run out of hope. She thought she was hopeless, but she didn't actually run out of hope. She was never hopeless. It's a mind trick, a mind fuck that is not true and is so dangerous in little ways and the obvious big ways. I have fallen into the trap of believing that I have run out of hope multiple times in my life. And what it finally took me learning was that every time I thought I had run out of hope and multiple times, I really thought that I could not continue living. I would wake up the next morning and I still have my body, Mm -hmm. still have my mind, I still have my heart and things look ever so slightly better for me in the morning. And that day I was able to go out and live and I went, wait a second, that whole thing from last night when I thought that I had run out of hope, obviously I didn't, because I'm still here today. Yeah.
1: Hmm.
0: There's no such thing. Our Our language has evolved in a way that is misleading us to think that we can run out of hope. And we hear it all the time in sayings like, well, there's no hope that... There, we're going to find a cure for this or there's no hope for that or I run out of hope. or It's a hopeless situation. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, we hear that in as simple and not so meaningful ways like a competition, right? It's a hopeless, if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, it's a hopeless situation for the Cleveland Browns. We hear, <laughs> we probably, <laughs> I don't know how many games the Cleveland Browns play a year. but So let's say it's 12. We hear that. Probably 11 Sundays per year, hopelessness. You know, it's a hopeless game for the Cleveland Browns.
0: And the place where I have found that most difficult, most challenging, is when I'm in great pain. Mm. It happens when I'm in great pain physically, but even more than that, when I'm in great pain emotionally. And one of the, I have, Um, seven lies that we believed about hope in my book, and then the the seven uncultivated truths about hope, we have been taught that if we're in great pain, we're not going to be okay, it's not okay, and there is no hope. Mm. I came to associate if my heart hurt so bad that I couldn't see the sun anymore, that it must mean that I didn't have hope, when the truth was I was just in a lot of pain. Yes. Yeah. Pain yeah. is there. Pain is really valid. And it doesn't mean anything except that I'm in pain. Right. Right. That's it.
1: Yeah. What are the other truths? Mm. Or lies, whichever you want to yeah. bring to us.
0: Let's talk about let's talk about the lies. One you yeah. mentioned already which is that hope is finite, mm-hmm. that we can run out of it like a block of cheese that can be eaten up. Mm. Hope is tied to my circumstances. If my circumstances look good, then I have hope. Right. There's the evidence-based hope. Right. If they don't look good, um, if my bank account is empty, then clearly I don't have hope. Hope is about the future. Mm. There's that little nuance within the word hope. It's about things getting, and the dictionary definition says it's a confidence that things are going to get better in the future. Well, we don't actually know what's going to happen in the future. You could have that, that kind of hope, that wishful thinking, and things could go completely to shit. You don't know. The hope in that situation is really about making us feel good now about what's going to happen in the future. It's not actually about the future. Right that um, Hope and deep pain are mutually exclusive. We talked about that one. Um, hope is only for the big things. We mm-hmm. don't need it for little things. That's what I believed for a long time. Like, who needs hope, you know, on a regular old day? I need it when the going gets tough and I need to keep going, right? But it's part of getting off the sofa when we're afraid to, when we're in pain, when we don't think that we matter in the world, mm. when we're not sure we can ever really live the lives that we've most wanted to live, getting off of the sofa requires hope. Right. Yeah. Uh, hope is a commodity, something I either have or don't have. Mm. That's another one of the lies.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's an energy. It's an energetic flow. It's always there. It's not something tangible that we can catch. Right.
1: Yeah. We can't harvest and put it on a grid and some people get to access it and others don't. Yeah.
0: Right. And that that's the, the last line in my book is it's easy to think that those people over there, the ones with the fancy car, the ones with the big house, the ones you know, with a good looking rich husband, what whatever it is, all the things that we think would make us happy. It's easy to think that they're the ones with hope. And me over here, I didn't get that thing. You know, for me mm. growing up, my family was a disaster. And I looked at all my neighbors. And I wasn't thinking of it in these specific terms at the time. But I thought they had hope and I didn't because I was the one who somehow got the short straw and got the family that was a disaster. Mm-hmm. But we all have the same amount of hope, which is an endless amount. Right, right. The people who are walking around smiling maybe completely dissociated and the people who are not smiling. And hope, you know, my husband has incurable cancer. And it's funny because some people have a hard time believing that when they look at him because he doesn't look, you know, upset or in despair or he's going about his life. He's actually making the most of his life, um, not in any particularly, you know, outwardly remarkable ways, but in ways that are really meaningful to him, Mm -hmm. living day to day in a way that's meaningful. and people think that if you have something like an incurable cancer, it must mean that you have run out of hope Mm -hmm. because it doesn't get, you know, in air quotes, doesn't get better. Right. Right. And that
1: all the people around him have run out of hope. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The truth is hope, hope is the thing that carries us through that, that allows us To be with the pain and the despair and the anger and the bitter sweetness of it all. Because the the other side of something like incurable cancer, if you're willing to be with it, if you're willing to allow hope to carry you, is that there is a sweetness. There's an aliveness that comes when you're staring your mortality in the face that we really, that's why we do extreme sports. We don't get it in any other way. Right.
1: Right. So true. So what do we miss out in a world filled with hopelessness? What do we miss out
0: on? We miss out on living the lives that we long to live. Mm. Whether it is I I mean the the small ways, like if I if I'm not in touch with the hope that I already always have. When I come home, and my husband seems busy, I may not ask him for what I want, or if I don't think he'll want to give it to me, I miss out on receiving love in the way that I most long for.
1: Mm.
0: It means I don't start the business that I want to start because I'm afraid. What if I don't have enough money? What if I don't make enough money? What if I fail, blah, blah, blah. Hope is the thing that carries us through that. Hope will still be with you there. And we shut down emotionally and we don't get to experience that glorious, wide panorama of feelings and experiences that we get to have as human beings.
1: While we're here, right, right. I imagine a black and white world. Mm. Yes, you know, that is it, mm-hmm. like in Hope the Wizard of the Oz. Color. Yeah, mm. the Wizard of Oz before they get to you know, how before when they're living on the farm and it's all very black and white, and right? Then they get to Oz, I guess, but they're I, not, I think, really so. in the Emerald City. Yeah, and then oh, it turns it. to color. Yes. Yeah, yep, yep. I imagine that stark difference. Yeah.
0: That's what it feels like.
1: Right. What will we see more of with more hope in the universe?
0: What we will see more of when we remember that we already have all the hope in the universe Yeah, is the beauty mm. of all the parts of life and appreciation for the richness. It's the... I've had a number of times in my life where somebody very near and dear to me has been dancing with death. And if you don't, if you aren't aware of the hope that you have, if you aren't in relationship with it, what we do as humans is we shut ourselves down and we're not able to fully be there and have that fully human beautiful experience even when it's one that we would never ever choose but those moments my my best friend died of leukemia a few years ago and in her journey especially in the initial crisis and then in the in the final chapter the experiences and conversations that we had we didn't shy away from things mm they were so rich and nourishing to me i think we're missing we'll we'll see more how every part of life is designed to nourish us and to fill in the colors and we'll stop being afraid of all of it
1: yeah nice yeah what i'm hearing is deeper connection deeper mm-hmm. love yeah mm-hmm. and which is right what we all what we're all here for
0: right We want a sense of aliveness more than anything. Right. We pursue all those things that we think will make us feel alive. Right. Yeah. And we've got it already. Yeah, it's right here. We need to remind each other. Yeah. As humans, we forget. Right. We need each other.
1: Right. So along those lines, what is a simple practice to connect deeper to
0: our wellspring of hope? yeah um I have a a whole chapter in my books a, a I encourage people to create your own personal hope toolkit. There are certain things that are helpful for me to reconnect to hope, certain things that might be helpful to to you. I offer up a number of practices. One of the most powerful is the simple act of going out into nature and this is one we all know we talk about it a lot the power of being under the trees by the ocean out in nature it's helping us remember that there's something bigger Mm. in that quietness in that stillness and especially if we breathe and breathe deeply and a Come back to our bodies and out of our minds because the mind is not where hope resides. Hope resides in our bodies. And so, getting anything that gets us out of our minds and back into our bodies, immediately we go, Oh, yeah, there I am. The world is not so scary. Maybe I'm going to be okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, a practice could be to. Be out away from your everyday in nature, right? Where things grow, things die, things re are reborn and remind ourselves that we are, we're part of that system, right? We're part of that system. We're part of that whole, again, it's that whole flow and that we too have moments where we grow where we die where we're reborn and we get that energy absolutely we get that energy yeah
0: and allowing that to go as we as we remember those things allowing that to go from our minds and sink down into our bodies so that we have an embodied experience of that
1: right so one of the ways I imagine we might do that is to be out in nature and rather than to say something like this to myself, I right, rather than say I think I feel something, right? It's the sensation I feel in my body is hope. Yeah. Yeah. That right that's like a trigger reminder. It reminds us the sensation I feel in my body is hope. The sensation I feel in my body is peace. The sensation I feel in my body is stillness. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And just having, getting back in touch with those bodily sensations automatically takes us back to where we're even open to hope. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because we're out of our minds. Right. Like, think about this. We see babies and we think like we
1: we think hope. Right. We just think it. There's so much hope. There's so much promise. There's right. It's our stuff that is saying, well, the world lay layers on hopelessness on top of that baby. Because right, a baby just comes into the world that way. If we can reconnect to that. Right. That's Mm -hmm. that. Then there we are. Yeah. Yeah,
0: They've already got their okayness. I mean, until they need to eat. Right. They, right. Exactly. (laughs) But when they need to eat, they say something. Yep.
1: Yep. And then they're okay again. Tell me, what question are you hoping I might ask you?
0: What's the one piece of advice I would give to your listeners who currently don't know if they really do have enough hope. Mm,
1: Okay. Lay it on us. What's that advice? Yeah, Yeah. That's a beautiful one.
0: I would bring it back to all the things that we've talked about. We have been taught, it's been drilled into our minds, that hope is a thing that we have or don't have and we can run out of. Come back to your body. Come back to your breath. Breathe deeply, dear one.
1: Mm.
0: All of the hope in the world is here with you
1: mm.
0: right this moment. And it might look cloudy. It might look foggy. You may not be able to see the sun right now. But hope is here waiting for you and with you. It will never in a million years abandon you. It will never betray you. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's the one thing that will always carry us.
1: Hmm. hmm. Really nice. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I asked you that question. <laughs> I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for asking it. Kimmy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: What are you most excited about in your world? I'm in an interesting place in my world right now. I've had a very intense journey personally over the last few months. I went through something that I experienced as an incredibly deep and wide betrayal. And I had to face my shadow and all the ways in which I had created this, all the ways in which I had tolerated, all the ways in which I had in invited people to treat me in a way that I then started setting boundaries around which caused a whole a whole lot of upset. I've been in a process of coming back to myself mm-hmm. and re-engaging with the, the ways that I have an impact in the world professionally at a deeper level, I'm creating, I am building and oh my gosh, I'm having the best time.
1: Oh, that's so great. Yeah.
0: I have a sense of aliveness. There's something so important for me about creating. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm having a blast.
1: Awesome. Awesome. In this process, do you see yourself moving over the things that don't fit into the clear vision that you have for the impact you're creating in the world.
0: You said, do I see myself moving over them? Yeah. Moving them over the things that don't fit. Yes. I think the sense that I have had even more than that is burning them down. Hell yeah. Burning them down. And those are the, the people mm-hmm. who no longer fit with the way i'm choosing to live my life it's my old habits it's the the parts of my life i'm burning down everything that has been weighing me down mm. as, as a quintessential people pleaser all the ways that i was trying to manage everybody else's you know perception of me their thoughts and feelings about me I am burning that shit down right now. And it feels amazing and so freeing. Yeah. Well, I can
1: see it. And so I can start to see who it is and who you be with what's left over after as the smoke lifts, it seems to be lifting. Yeah. There's an aliveness. Really cool. What's been most helpful for you today being in the Trauma Hiders Club?
0: Remembering that we are all in this together, mm. that every single one of us goes through awful, painful stuff in life. And I, you know, I grew up thinking that I was the only one who had the things going on in the house. And for me, and I think for most of us, what we long for more than anything is connection. Mm hmm that connection with you and with the rest of your audience, knowing that everybody is here for the same reason, we've all gone through stuff and we're here to use it as fertilizer to create a more beautiful life. You might have to burn it first. That's right. Um, That ultimately then that connection with you, with all of the other members of the trauma hiders club, connects me back to myself. Nice. And that's ultimately where I feel most grounded and most hopeful.
1: Nice. Authentically you, unapologetically you, burning shit down, rising the fuck up. Hell yes. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Love it. It's been great having you here, Catherine. Thank you so much, Karen. It's been a delight. You've been listening to the Trauma Hiders Club podcast. For more episodes, head over to my website where you'll find links to resources mentioned and all the ways you can listen on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ready to fight, discover the rules of Trauma Club. Head over to KarenGoldfingerBaker.com.